Amen. The Scottish reformer John Knox was a mighty man that was used by God in reforming the church in Scotland. We can trace our Presbyterian roots uh, back to John Knox and his labors for the Lord. He was a man who was fearless for Christ, but he had a tender love within his heart for the Word of God. In November 1572, I think that's around 450 years ago, uh, this month, if my math is correct, it says his health, uh, we are told his health began to decline. On the 24th of November, it is said that he asked his wife to read to him from the Word of God, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, concerning Christ and his resurrection and his victory and our resurrection. And then he asked uh, his wife to read John 17, the high priestly prayer of the Savior. And he said at the latter chapter that this was where I first cast my anchor, where I first cast my anchor. And some hours later, he was with his Savior in glory. Dear congregation this morning, Knox was sustained through life and through death by the Word of God, where I first cast my anchor. And in facing death, he looked to the Scripture that had anchored his soul for all those years. He believed it was God's truth. He believed that truth was sure, that it was certain, that it was sufficient for his soul, and he rested upon the revelation of God to man. And while when we come to Luke 16, we have hell in view, and certainly we have the judgment of God upon sinners, that we cannot ignore, and that we must consider and keep in our minds as the context here. At the end of this passage, we have in view the revelation of God to man. And those of you who have been attending the adult Bible class will know that we commenced this month a series on the doctrine of Scripture. We dealt with the revelation of God to man. The Scripture is God's written word, His written revelation to man. Uh, but here uh, we have uh, this, God's revelation to man. We have the reaction of the rich man to that revelation. And uh, I want us this morning to consider these verses, uh, perhaps as a supplement to what we have been saying in the Bible class, and uh, of course as a supplement perhaps to what will follow uh, maybe in the next uh, couple of months when uh, we come back uh, next year uh, to deal with some of these matters. But God is speaking here. Christ is speaking. He's revealed himself. And we see something wonderful. Verse 29, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. The Savior in this account is focusing attention upon the Scriptures. To the rich man who died, he's focusing attention upon the Scriptures. Physical death came to the beggar. We could almost expect that. This man uh, had a life that was not easy compared to the rich man. He was fed from the crumbs from the rich man's table. The dogs licked his sores. His death is no surprise. But we find that the rich man died. His riches could not prevent his death. Riches do not send people to hell, but riches cannot guarantee life, and they cannot guarantee heaven. He was in torments. There was a separation that had taken place 
between him and this world that could not be reversed. There was also a spiritual separation and an eternal separation that had taken place between him and between God that could not be reversed. And we see there in verse 26, Abraham says to him, and beside all this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from hence. Uh, the Greek words here are megas and chasma, words which we undoubtedly recognize. Really, there's a big chasm, a big gap, something that cannot be crossed, something that speaks to us of that eternal separation with which a sinner will find themselves. Not only the separation of a sinner from God's heaven, but the separation of a believer from God's hell. How wonderful that is to those who know and love the Lord. We are separated from hell forever. A great gulf fixed. We cannot leave and go to hell. Those in hell cannot leave to come to heaven. That is what is being taught here. But this rich man uh, makes certain requests. That first request was answered by uh, this matter of the great gulf fixed. He wanted water for his tongue. But there is no easing, there's no abating of eternal wrath. It cannot be eased. And then we find he makes two more requests. His second and third requests were for his brethren but his prayers were in vain. He says, verse, 20, or verse 28, For I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. In other words, he's thinking of his family. If Lazarus can't come to me, let him go to them. But there was no request granted. But God is not unloving and God is not unmerciful because we see something here. They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. God had already given them all that they need in order to avoid the wrath of God. God had already spoken. God had already revealed himself. And in the context here, in the time period, God would continue to reveal himself because it was thinking here of the Old Testament Scripture. But the New Testament Scripture would be compiled and added to the Word of God also. Uh, but God had already given ample revelation to both the rich man and his brethren. They had the writings of Scripture. They had the Word of God, the revelation of God. And that was enough. That was enough. This parable shows us that prosperity in life, all the riches of this world, does not guarantee spiritual and eternal prosperity after death. And the key issue we have here then is... This whole parable, I believe, is summed up by this end section. Heaven, hell, the wrath of God. It all corresponds to this. How do we respond to the Scriptures of truth? What is our attitude towards Scripture? Do we believe Scripture? Do we trust Scripture? Do we obey the words of Christ regarding salvation? How do we respond to the Scriptures of truth? Dear unconverted person this morning, you who has never repented, never trusted Christ. The question of your eternal salvation rests on this. How do you respond to the Scriptures of truth? You must hear. You must listen. You must consider it. 
You must obey it. You must believe it. You must trust in Christ. How do we respond to the Scriptures of truth? And so this morning, I want us to consider God's necessary revelation to sinful man. God's necessary revelation to sinful man. And that is what we have here in verse 29 to verse 31. God's necessary revelation to sinful man. We see, firstly, this revelation is a privilege to man. This revelation is a privilege to man. God has revealed himself, and uh, God has revealed himself in distinct ways. We have general revelation. We consider that briefly in the adult Bible class. We think of the works of creation and providence that uh, point to a creator, uh, but because of the fall and because of man's sin, uh, the Westminster Divines stated that that revelation is not sufficient to give that knowledge of God that is necessary unto salvation. You can't look at the petals of a flower and realize that you're a sinner and God sent Christ to be your Savior because of our sin. And there's need of another revelation. And God revealed Himself in a special way, which includes the Scriptures of truth, which reveal His identity and His plan and His purpose in redemption. And it is this revelation that we are concerned with this morning. This revelation that is found in the written Word of God. And verse 29 to 31 identifies it. Verse 31, if they hear not Moses and the prophets. Thinking specifically here of the Old Testament Scriptures. Moses and the prophets, they wrote the inspired Word of God. They spoke as the messenger of God in their generation. Moses was inspired by God. He wrote Genesis. He wasn't around in Genesis chapter 1 to see what happened. He was inspired by God to write the account of the creation of the world. He stood before Pharaoh in Egypt. He continually spoke as thus saith the Lord, let my people go. The Savior said about Moses in John 5, Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one that accuseth you, even Moses, in whom ye trust. For had ye believed Moses, ye would have believed me, for he wrote of me. But if you believe not his writings, how shall ye believe my words? And Christ is saying, Moses spoke, Moses pointed to the Lord Jesus Christ. And Christ is teaching that the Old Testament Scriptures are the revelation of God and contain God's revelation to men. As we consider this morning in the adult Bible class, the doctrine of inspiration is foundational to all that we believe. And it is foundational, I believe, to salvation. Because if we cannot trust the Bible to be God's Word to us, then the message of the Bible has a question mark over it, a big question mark over it. The message of salvation, is it true? Is it real? Are we truly sinners? Is there no good within us? Will we be lost in hell forever if we do not obey what the Scriptures say? If they're not truly inspired, so many questions can be raised. But we believe in the inspired Word of God, that this revelation is God's message, and Christ here stamps upon the Old Testament, the authority of God, and the inspiration of God, and the purpose of God. They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. Why? Because it's enough. That's all 
that they need. God gave them the privilege of having this message, this message. And why is it a privilege? It's a privilege because of the fall. It's a privilege because of our sin. It's a privilege because of the mercy of God. Receiving such a revelation is all founded upon the mercy of God. And what a privilege that is, the Word of God written and open in front of us. Uh, the Scriptures preached to us, being brought together and having the Scripture opened is a privilege that because of sin we do not deserve. But in mercy, love, and grace, God has given us His revelation. And what a privilege that is. It's a privilege that this world despises. But believer, do you see the great privilege in God's Word? Where would you be without the Word of God? Where would you be without God giving you that privilege of receiving His revelation in salvation? Where would you be? Still in a life of sin, still in iniquity, still living for self out in this world? Maybe your sin would have taken your life. Maybe your sin would have taken the life of others. Maybe your sin would have destroyed you completely in life, certainly spiritually, but in life. Looking back at my own life, the Lord was gracious to me and saved me at the age of four, being brought up in a Christian home, and I can only surmise what may have happened. I wasn't saved from a great life of sin at four years old. Uh, you hardly, well, you still know what sin is, but you don't really understand or know about the great sins of this world. All the wickedness and immorality that men and women engage in, I had no idea what these things were. But through the grace of God, He delivered me from it. From whatever future may have been, without His Word, without His revelation, without His truth. And, O oh, believer, God has been gracious to us, whether He has saved us at a young age, and therefore the world has been avoided, or He has come graciously to us and given us His revelation, and His Spirit has applied His revelation to our hearts, and He's took us out of the mire and out of the world and put us on the solid rock of Christ. How wonderful! But yet we can all be gracious as to how God, we can all be thankful as to how God has been gracious to us. What a privilege it is to have His revelation. We're to treasure the Word of God. We're to love the Word of God. But unsaved person this morning, you need to think of that great privilege you have of having the Word of God in front of you, of having the Word of God opened, of hearing the way of salvation. Take your eyes of this world. Take your eyes uh, of the things of this world. Look at what God's Word is telling to you. If you want to be saved, if you want to understand what salvation is, if you want to avoid being in the same hell as this rich man, well, what does Abraham say? They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. Hear the Word of God. Obey the Word of God. 
The rich man had this privilege. This was not a privilege that he did not have access to. He was a Jew. He had access to the Scriptures. He had access to Moses and the prophets. We don't know how much interaction he had. But we know this, that Abraham calls him son, verse 25. This man was a Jewish man. The Jews had access to the oracles of God, the Word of God. But what happened? Whatever interaction he had with Moses and the prophets, it wasn't enough. Their truth was not believed. He lifted his eyes up in hell, not because he was rich, but because the revelation of God revealed in Moses and the prophets that pointed toward Christ was not believed not believed. How many throughout church history have sat in gospel-preaching churches, listening to the true gospel of Christ being preached to them, knowing personally they must repent of sin? What a privilege that is, knowing personally sin must be repented from, trusting in Christ alone as their Savior. And what happens? Lord's Day after Lord's Day, they attend. Lord's Day after Lord's Day, they walk out maybe a little concerned, but nothing is done. It's soon forgotten about. They may be good people, but there's nothing in this passage to suggest that this rich man was evil and wicked. Maybe Lazarus should have been given more than just the crumbs from the table if he was such a rich man. We can maybe find fault with his charity toward Lazarus, but there's nothing to suggest that he was an evil, wicked man or that he was a nice person in all his ways, regardless of who he was, regardless of whether he was wicked and vile, regardless whether he was loving and kind in life, he lifted up his eyes being in torments. The privilege of God's Word was in his culture and in his society. Being a Jew, we could say, even in his very background, his DNA, his ancestry, all connected and interwoven with how God dealt with the Jews in the Old Testament. How time after time he pointed in the Old Testament to what would take place at Calvary. Yet this man knew nothing. The privilege was set aside, and he lifted up his eyes, being in torments. And how sad that is if you have access to something. You've access to something wonderful, and you lose it. Oh, oh, how this man had access to the way of life through the Scriptures, but yet it was to no avail. And how many have access in churches today, but yet nothing, nothing. I've met many people over the years. I've met many individuals. I've seen many individuals. Years apart, I've preached in the same church. I've seen individuals I knew was to, and were told were unsaved outside of Christ, sitting at the back. Every service they were there, the Lord's Day they were there, they didn't miss. But yet, there was no repentance. No repentance. How sorrowful when such individuals lose their lives. 
cast into God's eternity, cast into God's hell like the rich man. They lift up their eyes. It's too late, too late. The privilege was there. And this morning, this revelation of God, God revealing himself in his word, it is a privilege. Don't take it lightly. Don't treat it lightly. Don't take it for granted. And then secondly, I want you to see that this revelation enlightens man. This revelation enlightens man. Abraham says here in verse 29, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And verse 31, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. The Old Testament scriptures are in view. And the Old Testament speaks of man's sin. It speaks of the rebellion of Adam in the Garden of Eden. It speaks of how the fall came into this world. It speaks about the great promise of one who would bruise the head of the serpent, the proto-evangel, the first time the gospel was mentioned there in the book of Genesis. The Old Testament speaks about those who are corrupt. The fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. Isaiah 59, verse 2, the prophet says, But your iniquities have separated between you and your God. A separation because of sin. In Psalm 96, in the verse 11, the psalmist says, Let the heavens rejoice and let the earth be glad. Let the sea roar in the fullness thereof. Let the field be joyful and all that is therein. Then shall all the trees of the wood rejoice before the Lord, for he cometh. For he cometh to judge the earth, he shall judge the world with righteousness and his people with truth. And the Old Testament points to that judgment. There will be a people of the Lord. There will be a people who are separated because of sin. We think of the sacrifices uh, that took place in the tabernacle and before the tabernacle. Sacrifices, the killing of the lamb that spoke of Christ. Abraham taking Isaac up the mountain and in the command of God was going to slay his son. But yet there was a substitute, a young lamb, pointing to Christ being the lamb of God and dying for us. We can think of Isaiah 53, and we'll turn to that passage for a moment. Isaiah 53, a wonderful passage that speaks of Christ speaks of his death. Isaiah 53, Who hath believed our report, the prophet said, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows. And acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, verse 7. Yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. Verse 10, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief, and thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. Oh, passage that we can see fulfilled in Christ, that speaks of Christ. We can think of Noah's ark and compare it to the ark that is Christ Jesus. We can think of Naaman and his leprosy, a physical miracle. This man was healed. 
but it points to a spiritual miracle, the healing of our sin. And this revelation can be extended to the New Testament also. The New Testament scriptures that reveal Christ and reveal his gospel. The Word of God is a privilege, and the Word of God enlightens man so that man has no excuse to reject the gospel of Christ. There's much more we could say here, but we are enlightened to the necessary truths for salvation through the Word of God. We are enlightened to the necessary truths for Christian living through the Word of God. Do not forsake the enlightening of that revelation. This is what the rich man did. The enlightening of God's revelation meant nothing to him. He was in hell despite having access to this enlightening revelation. It enlightens us to our sin. Turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3. The verse 15, Paul says to Timothy, and that, from a holy, uh, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Able to make thee wise unto salvation. Yes, there's faith and repentance, but the scriptures show us the way. The scriptures reveal to us and enlighten us how we can be saved. How marvelous that is. They enlighten us. Believer, they enlighten you. As to the great truths of Scripture, to lift up your heart. They enlighten you as to your conduct. They enlighten you as to doctrine, instruction, rebukes, correction. Some of those things are not nice. Who likes to be corrected? Very very few of us. Maybe there is one exception here. I don't know. It would be rare if there was. We don't like being corrected, but it's necessary. And the Word of God is a two-edged sword. It pierces us. It pierces us. And as it pierces us, it does enlighten us. It enlightens us to our sin. It enlightens us to the truth of God. It enlightens us uh, to our failure. Yes, we've turned from sin. Yes, we're trusting Christ. But there may be sins in our life we must deal with. Sins in our life that must be put to death. Things that we are doing uh, that we ought not to be doing. And the Word of God corrects us. It's a painful thing, but it's necessary. It enlightens us. And dear believer, do not despise the Word of God, the enlightening power of Scripture. We have those disciples on the road to Emmaus. And what happened to them? They were enlightened. They believed in Christ, but they were enlightened by Christ to how He was revealed and how He was the message of the Old Testament. Believers, seek that revealing, that enlightening that comes from the Word of God. The message of Scripture does not stop when we're saved. It does not stop when we're saved. We do not look to the Scripture and gain salvation, and then we can live like the world because we've got our exit, we've got our escape, we've got our way out. Maybe we should be pointing to the exit here. Well, I think there's three exits. There's lots of exits here. There's a way out, a way of salvation, a fire exit, an escape from hell. And we've accepted that way, and we've trusted Christ. And because now there is that escape for us when death comes, whenever death comes, we can do what we want. But Scripture continues past salvation. 
And Scripture continues to sanctification. And Scripture continues to us living for Christ and serving Christ. And some dying for Christ. And as Paul said, for him to live is Christ. Christ was his life. Oh, the Scripture, it does not end its relevance to us when we're saved. It continues. It continues to enlighten us. I've seen that mistake many young people make. They're in the world, in school, and friends who are outside of Christ, yet they're also in the church and Christian families, and they trust Christ, and they're saved, and they're serving God, and they're living in the church, but they're also living in the world. And oh, how the world can take their minds off how they are to live for Christ. And how Scripture continues after salvation to direct them how to live in righteousness, not like the world, but like Christ. Dear believer, desire to live for Christ. Don't despise the Word of God. And then thirdly, we see that this revelation is indispensable to man. It is indispensable to man. During the days of the Protestant Reformation, the Reformers battled the position of the Roman Catholic Church regarding Scripture. We said this morning that uh, they believed in inspiration, but it was the application of that. The authority of Scripture uh, was the big concern. And the Roman Catholic Church denied that Scripture was to be translated in the language of the people in order to prevent the common people from reading the Word of God. And therefore, by reading the Word of God, what happened to Martin Luther? He saw the errors of the Roman Catholic system, idolatries and superstitions and errors. The Word of God was kept from the people, but yet the Word of God should be for the people. Should be for the people. Scripture should be read. This revelation is indispensable. One of the Dutch theologians in a work on theoretical and practical theology, gives four reasons why Scripture should be read by the common people. And he says, because God commands it. Christ said, search the Scriptures. He said that the reading of Scripture was familiar to the Israelite church. And he refers to Paul going to the synagogue and reading and reasoning out of the Word of God. And this was something that had happened for generations. He said, God approves of such reading. The psalmist said, Blessed are they that keep his testimonies and that seek him with the whole heart. And what does that imply? Well, to know the testimonies of God, you are to know the Word of God. And then he said, The use and enjoyment of the Scriptures is for all people without distinction. And he refers to 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. And surely we could say, is that not perhaps the goal of missionary endeavor? That men and women would be saved and be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works because of the working of God and His Spirit within their lives. Scripture is indispensable, and we see it in this passage as indispensable. Abraham says, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded though one rose from the dead. It's indispensable because of its supremacy. The Word of God has a unified message of Christ. They are inspired by God. 
as we've considered this morning already. And their origin is important, but so is the content or the message of the Scriptures. A message that speaks of Christ. A message that uplifts Christ. A message that is God's divine revelation about His Son. Oh, the greatest book that man could have. The unique book in this world that is not penned by the ideas of men is the supremacy of Scripture, dear believer, revealed and expressed in your life. Is it? Is there that high regard for Scripture? Is the supremacy of it? It's infallibility, it's inerrancy, it's inspiration. All these things we could uh, bring together under the supremacy of Scripture. Is it expressed in your life? And then we see because of its sufficiency... It is indispensable because of its sufficiency. And this is where uh, we find uh, Luke 16 uh, really dealing with the sufficiency of Scripture. What is the sufficiency of Scripture? Well, it teaches that there's enough revealed for salvation. We'll come to that in the adult Bible class uh, in God's will sometime in the future. Uh, But the sufficiency of Scripture means that Scripture contains all the words that God intended for us to have at the various stages of redemptive history in the Old Testament and the New Testament, and that it now contains all the words of God that we need for salvation, for trusting Him, and for obeying Him. Everything we need is in Scripture. We don't need to add to it. Everything is there. That is what the sufficiency of Scripture teaches, and that is what we see here in Luke 16. If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. Verse 31, it cries out, Scripture is sufficient. Scripture is enough. John MacArthur said that God's Word is sufficient for every need of the human soul. Samuel Davies was an 18th century American preacher. He paraphrased the answer of Abraham. And he said, If thy brothers perish, it will not be for want of means. They enjoy the sacred scriptures of the Old Testament, written by Moses and the prophets, and these are sufficient to inform them of the necessary truths to regulate their practice, and particularly to warn them of everlasting punishment. Let them therefore hear and regard, study, and obey those writings, for they need no further means for their salvation. It is enough. It is enough, because the Word is a divine perfection. It has a divine purpose. It is necessary. It is enough. The Heidelberg Catechism asks, whence knowest thou thy misery? And the answer comes, out of the law of God, out of the Word of God. That answer is there. The Scottish Confession says, John Knox was involved, as we believe and confess the Scriptures of God, sufficient to instruct and make perfect the man of God. So we do affirm and avow their authority to be from God and not to depend upon men or angels. And confessing any other authority, they say, is blasphemy. In Pilgrim's Progress, Christian read the book and all seemed well until he read it and then he realized something. He was a sinner and he asked that question, what shall I do? The book, speaking of the Word of God, 
it changed him. It gave him all that he needed to know concerning his sin. There's much more we could say, and of course we'll be considering the sufficiency of Scripture at a later point, but do you believe that the Word of God is sufficient? Sufficient in matters of salvation and faith. If we believe it is sufficient, then we will realize the vital importance of reaching sinners, not with music, not with drama, not merely with good works, but with the Word of God, because it is sufficient. It is sufficient. And surely sometimes we can make the mistake of failing to fully apply the doctrine of the sufficiency of Scripture to our lives. If Scripture is sufficient, then there is nothing else that is needed. I've been in churches and I've seen a great, a great many things. Some of those things, if I did this morning or you came this evening and saw I'd done some of these things, well, I'm sure somebody would say something about what is going on. In some ways, bringing the world into the church, and the great purpose, the great reasoning that was given was simply it's for the children. It's for children to make them want to come to God's house, and we'll bring the world in, and we'll bring all sorts of things that are nice for them in, and we'll make it attractive for them to come. I walked into a church one time, and I thought I took a wrong turn and ended up in Santa's Grotto. Uh, and, well, there's nothing of Christ there. Nothing of Christ there. But it was to make it attractive for those who were coming in from the outside. Because Scripture must not be sufficient. It must not be sufficient. And dear believer, if we believe Scripture to be sufficient, if we believe Scripture to be sufficient, that will rule how we reach out with the gospel. That will rule how we worship God. That will rule how we approach the worship of God. And what do children need? They need the Word of God. You might not want to give them a theological textbook and say, start reading. You want to break it down. You want to make it clear. You want to make it simple, of course. But we ought not to change and bring the world into the church just to bring the Christian message across. The Word of God is sufficient. We need to be reminded of that continually, continually. If the Word of God is sufficient, then let us, as we teach the younger generation, let you, perhaps, who teach in Sunday school, keep close to the Word of God in your families and reaching out to family members outside of Christ, young or old. Keep close to Scripture. Scripture is sufficient. 
Scripture is sufficient. If we believe it truly is sufficient, that will affect our reading. That will affect our hearing of Scripture. What did the Bereans do? They looked at Scripture to see what Paul said was true. Scripture guides us. Scripture is sufficient. And it is sufficient for salvation, dear sinner. Scripture is sufficient for you. The message God has contained is sufficient for you. But notice finally, this revelation is rejected by man. Man rejects this revelation. And what do we see in Luke 16? We see that exactly. This rich man rejected God's revelation. He says to Abraham, what God has said in his word is not enough. Is not enough. God is wrong. It is not enough. It is not enough. He said, if they... He says, if one went to them from the dead, a miracle happened. Lazarus, who ate the crumbs from their table, Lazarus, who we assume by what the rich man is saying they would have known, if he walks down the street and speaks to them, wow, they'll change their minds. They'll see the truth of of hell and of heaven. They'll be warned. They'll repent. They'll do what is necessary. And Abraham says, even though that might happen, they'll not be persuaded if they don't hear Moses and the prophets. Therefore, again, the sufficiency of Scripture is pressed upon here again above the miracles. The miracles in the, in the Scriptures, Christ's miracles pointed to Christ and to His power and who he was and what he would do. But now that has ceased and we have Scripture, and Scripture is our final authority. If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they persuade it, though this miracle takes place. And this passage speaks clear as to the hardness of men's hearts. No, the Scripture is not enough. I want you to consider a number of things. Firstly, you can show respect to the Word of God. Unsaved person, you can show respect to the Word of God, but still perish. Still perish. He called Abraham father. Abraham called him son. There was a heritage here. There was respect. He didn't use modern language to address Abraham as many would, talking on the street. He referred to him respect in a way of respect. Father Abraham. Father Abraham. But despite calling Abraham his father, he was in hell. In hell. There may have been a blessing in your ancestry and in your heritage to have the scriptures of truth. But if you never heed the message contained therein, your soul will be lost. You can give respect to the word of God. You can respect the preacher. You can respect the preachers of God's Word more perhaps than Christians. You can show great respect, but you can still perish if you believe not the message. And secondly, you must understand that the Scripture can never be replaced. The Scripture can never be replaced. He thought of a better way. Abraham said no. Christ said no. The Spirit of God inspiring the Word of God here says no. God Himself says no. There is no better way if you hear not the Word of God. He pleads again. It's as if he's saying, I had the Scriptures, but here I am in hell. 
But yet, it's emphasized again, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. The Scripture is enough, but you must believe it. You must believe it. How many think there is a better way to be saved, a better way to have eternal life, a better way than God's way, a way of good works, a way of good living, not repentance and faith in Christ. If Lazarus came back from the dead, he could not speak with greater authority than what we have here in the Word of God. And we can say that about any man. You see, each Spurgeon, the great Baptist pastor, came and spoke to us this morning, came back from the dead and stood before us. He would speak with no greater authority than what we already have here in the Word of God. It is sufficient. It is enough. The words of Scripture are important. The words of hope, the words of everlasting life, for many are waiting for the lightning bolt from heaven or a great miracle to take place, but God says His Word is sufficient. Dear believer, in your evangelism, stick close to God's Word. It is sufficient. Dear unsaved person, listen to God's Word. It is sufficient for your soul, sufficient to make you wise unto salvation. May the Lord bless His Word this morning for His name's sake. Amen. And let us pray. Our eternal God and our Father in heaven, we thank Thee for Thy Word. We thank Thee for the inspired Word of God, the Scriptures that are sufficient. And Father, we think of this man who had a great heritage, who had respect, but yet he found himself in hell. And Father, we do beseech Thee that those here outside of Christ would not find themselves in God's hell, despite respect, despite the privilege they have. Father, we pray that they would take advantage of it by Thy grace and through the power of Thy Spirit. They would cling to Christ. They would rest upon Him for salvation. Father, we thank Thee Thy Word is sufficient. And may we depend upon it, we pray. May we rest upon it with that peace, that assurance. And we pray that Thou would bless our time here today we pray that would bring us again safely to the service tonight to hear thy truth. And may the love of God, our Father, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of God, the Holy Spirit, rest, remain, and abide with us, both now and forevermore. Amen.